Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded, a podcast all about creating visibility, paths for growth, and opportunity for entrepreneurs. We focus on those entrepreneurs who are statistically underrepresented in the startup ecosystem. Your hosts are Zena Island, president of X Plus PR, a media relations agency, angel investor Aurelia Flores, managing member of Athena Digital Media Group, a digital marketing agency, and angel investor Christina Francis, president of Esteem Logic, an information technology consulting and training firm. In each episode, you will meet a new startup founder, hear about their company and where they are now. We then focus on one key challenge facing that entrepreneur, a challenge that is common among startups. Each episode also features a guest expert to weigh in on the challenge. Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded. Your financials are the foundation, the backbone of your business, especially as a startup in the angel and VC ecosystem. Your financials show if you're serious and if you know what you're talking about. As an entrepreneur is a putting together financials to let an investor know, one, if his or her business model will work, two, over what period of time, three, what the costs of the business are, and four, what data they need to know and collect as they move forward. Without strong financials, you are dead in the water, which is why we put together this show to discuss the basics, what pro forma financials are, why they are important, and what research a startup entrepreneur needs to consider in preparing such a document. We have with us today Carlos Carriaga, Carlos is currently um, finance director for Associated Students, a not-for-profit auxiliary operating on the campus of San Diego State University. Carlos has been with AS since January 2012. As finance director, Carlos supervises accounting, financial reporting, planning, analysis, information technology, and assists with other corporate business functions for AS. This position also provides staff advising and assistance to the AS Financial Affairs and Audit Committees. Carlos brings over 25 years of experience, um, excuse me, expertise in financial analysis, forecasting, financial modeling, leadership, coaching, strategic analysis, change management, controllership experience, mentoring, and process improvement. That was a mouthful. Carlos career spans Fortune 500 firms to startup to nonprofit organizations and includes international experience as a division controller. Carlos has extensive experience working for entrepreneurs, assisting them with long-term planning, day-to-day operations, writing business plans, and creating pro forma financial statements for investor presentations. Carlos has a bachelor's degree in finance from Arizona State University and an MBA from Southern Methodist University. Carlos, thank you. Welcome. Um, Before we begin our show, I I would like for you to tell us your definition of pro forma financials and what it needs to be in these documents. Um, What I would like to start off with, pro forma financials are financials that a company does in advance, and it's a way that an investor can see the broad projections that a startup is considering, and more importantly, understanding assumptions that the company is making. 
Is that what you find, or what are your what what are your thoughts? No, I, I agree with that in a high level part of the way or definition. Uh, I think a simple way to look at them is they're a roadmap. Uh, tell me how, if, if I'm an investor, if I'm a banker, someone who's going to loan you money, or even if I'm an employee, tell me how you, this organization, this entity, the this this organization you started is going to get from today to sometime in the future tomorrow. And the performers allow those individuals, those readers of those documents, to figure out how that's going to happen, what type of investments, what type of staff hiring, what type of sales you need to be accomplished in order to get from point A to point B in the future. So exactly as you outlined there, Zena, but it really also includes, you know, for those people who are going to read these documents, it's that roadmap that then allows me to go in and start questioning uh, the credibility of these statements, the credibility of, you know, the assumptions. Uh, but it gives me confidence that the investments they're going to make or that I'm, if I'm going to join this company as a high, as an employee, that there's a road plan in place and a plan in place that allows us to get and achieve the success we want to achieve going forward. Carlos, so now you've given us a little bit of a definition. What goes into a pro forma? So, so traditionally, people view them as four pieces. Uh, when we say pro forma, we mean all these encompassing, but really there's really four parts to a pro forma in, in the basic format. The first one is often goes by the name of a profit and loss statement or an income statement. And what that really is, it's performance over time, as you mentioned at the outset, Gene. It's performance over time. So traditionally, a lot of people people think of 12-month cycles, so January 1st through December 31st. The second part of those is a, is a balance sheet or a statement of financial position, and it is financial standing at a specific date and time. So traditionally, again, we think of balance sheets on December 31st at the year end of something like that. The third one is the cash flow statement, and it is also a measurement of performance over time. But it talks about this one outlines, this document outlines what has happened to cash flow from day one to day 365. It also is used by investors and bankers to assess the quality of income. Uh, in my mind, the cash flow statement is the most important document in the set of performers because it outlines, at the end of the day, as an old fashioned finance person, if we go by the mantra that cash is king, it tells us how much cash, free cash flow your organization is generating. Uh, the fourth one, the fourth final piece of that is the assumptions or the notes. To walk me through all the notes, all the assumptions you've made to arrive at these documents, this is where a banker, or an investor, or an employee might look and determine, really gain a level of uh, confidence that these performers reflect true path going forward, a true roadmap, and they're based in some type of reality. Sometimes there's a fifth one. It's called the statement of retained earnings, but oftentimes it's rolled into the balance sheet, so it's not that important. But those four pieces, the profit and loss statement, a balance sheet, cash flow statement, and the notes that outline the assumptions, those are the four main parts of a performance set that any organization would have or should prepare, especially if they're going to go out and seek new partners as they grow. So, Carlos Cicerelli, again, um, you're talking to startup founders, and let's assume for a moment that the startup founder does not have experience in the financial world and looking at financial documents like you do. What kind of questions do you start asking them, and what kind of research do you expect that they will have done when they're starting to put together these documents? Sure, and that's and bear in mind this is a 
the if set of pro formas are a living, breathing document. I know sometimes people don't like to hear that, um, but they are really a living, breathing document. So the work that I would put involved, put into getting these documents created, creating a set of financials, should be first done just just a generic meeting with the the own business owner or the the entity. Tell me about the business. What drives your business? For instance, if you're a manufacturing firm. I literally would tell them, okay, take me from a piece of raw materials to the final product. Walk me through those steps that gets me there. If you're a software company, tell me how you generate revenue. Tell me, tell me how long it will take you to get software ideas to fill completion to where you're actually going to be able to sell it. So I have a general idea of what type of inputs you have into, the, into that, that revenue stream. What I really want to know is what are the drivers of your business? How do you make money? But also what type of money you're going to generate. And by that I mean, if you're a large manufacturing business, are you, or is your sales cycle very long? Uh, it might take you six months to make a sale. Or if you're a software company, will you be selling product every day, you know, multiple times a day? That allows me to determine what cash flows are like, what your balance sheet looks like. I'm also going to know what about other things that you're anticipating. What part of the country do you want to have your business in? Is it Southern California where lease rates might be a little bit higher versus maybe somewhere in, in the Midwest? Um, what about type of labor inputs? What type of people do you plan on hiring? Uh, what type of third-party providers do you need to hire? There's a, basically almost going down line by line on the income statement, which is the expense side of what you're preparing, and walk me through each what I anticipate to be your expenses so I can get a feel for which ones are the largest, which ones have the biggest impact on your business, which ones have the, uh, the biggest um, say, if you will, on your bottom line, so that as I go back to my own laptop and start creating these, I have some sense of what makes up your business. Now, the second part of your question really is what type of research they should be doing um, is have a sense of the environment and the community you want to do business in. A couple examples. Uh, so I live in Southern California. I work in Southern California. So I know that over the next, beginning January 1st, 2019, minimum wage is going to go up, and it's going to continue to go up till 2022 when it reaches $15 an hour. So you have to make sure that wherever you're, whatever community you're operating in, you understand what type of legal impact or what type of uh, external factors will impact your business. Now, you might say, well, I'm not going to hire minimum wage employees, but if you're going to lease space in a community, Maybe you have custodial and building engineers who will be impacted by those types of changes. Another one is, what are the lease rates in the community you want to work? Is it $2 a square foot? Is it $4 a square foot? Those have impacts on where you're going to locate your business, as well as the type of contract you sign. So that's a very high level, you know, very down-to-basic type research that needs to be done. A final comment I'll make there is, what type of benchmarks is your company going to operate, or what type of industries you're going to, is your company going to operate in, and what are the benchmarks for that industry? We think of traditional numbers like what's the return on investments. So that's a standard ratio that most bankers or investors might look at, but there are other ratios that are important to and specific to industries. Again, if you're in software, maybe the what is the cost of acquisition? What does it cost to actually make a sale? If you're a uh, or if you're in software, you might say, what is the sales per employee? That might be another one that you might be worried about. So those benchmarks are important that I think the 
business owner bring to the table and help the person preparing the financials understand these are the benchmarks, these should be guiding my business to some degree as we build a path, as we build a road, mark, a road plan going forward. Um, Carla, so I'm going to ask, I'm going to keep pushing on some of these questions. I think one of the things that, um, as an angel investor, I've heard from, uh, entrepreneurs is something like, well, these are all made up numbers anyway. You know, why should I care and how much time should I put into that? And, um, I have my own answers to that, of course, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but tell me what you think. I mean, we've just kind of talked about this roadmap, telling a story, um, how much do people, when you're doing these pro forma financials, how, how close do they get to what reality ends up looking like? Well, it's, it's a situation of, of garbage in, garbage out. So it's the quality of the research you're in front, obviously. But I believe, in kind of to answer your question, you know, again, as you mentioned, this is the way to tell a story. The financials are a way to talk to people who listen to the world of numbers. So investors, people who want to invest in your company. Bankers, uh, you know, if you need to get a loan, they're going to look at these. And don't forget employees, too. If you're asking someone to join your crusade, to be a part of your company, they might want to know what type of risk they're taking. So they might want to see, you know, what does the future look like for our organization? So it's a tool for you to tell a story. The second piece there is it's also a tool to help you make decisions. Now, at one point in time of my sales, will I need to hire new people? invest in physical activity, in physical plant, or something like that. So this is a decision tool as well. So if you put together a solid set of assumptions and you continually treat the document like a living, breathing document, because it is, and you update those assumptions as they go along, then the accuracy begins to get finer and finer. Now, obviously, I cannot predict what will happen five years out, but the goal should be to at least the first one year and the first two years of my business's life cycle, have a very good handle of, based on what I know today, this is where my company should be based on these assumptions. And any investor, any banker understands that the quality of the pro forma, the financial statements are built on the quality of those assumptions. But they should have experience in those communities they operate in, in the communities they invest in, and say, you know what, these assumptions are in line with what I'm seeing in the industry, in this space that this company is in. And if they're not, that's where they're going to push back and ask questions. And, and that's where that business owner has the opportunity to explain their competitive advantage or maybe go back and revisit those assumptions. Carlos, this is Zena again. Um, this is very good information. And when it comes to numbers, my eyes kind of glaze over. So I'm probably asking Questions like, okay, I can't believe she's going to ask this, but I am. So you mentioned the four that you need to have. Um, where do you begin? I mean, do you, I mean, how do you, where do you begin you, to put some of this together, especially as an entrepreneur? I think, I think the first thing to do is to sit down and really have a solid understanding. First and foremost, you have to have a solid understanding of how your business operates, whether it's in the software space or manufacturing or service industry. Have a solid understanding of how your business generates revenue and be able to, to quantify that in terms of if I make XYZ sales, this is what should happen to my business. So that if you can communicate that to anybody who helps you put together these financials, it's part of that story you need to tell. So the first thing, again, is finding someone who can help you put together these financials. 
Um, that can be done in numerous places. Banks, lawyers can often refer you to people. Uh, I used to work for one of the local community colleges, and they had a, an economic development area where they had a roster of people who would help small business owners put together financials or business plans. But then the research that needs to be done is really, I think, start with the benchmarks. Identify your industry, identify the space you're operating in, and do research on what are your competitors doing in terms of financials. Um, what are your competitors doing in terms of market penetration? Are you developing a business plan, a business model that is taking advantage of opportunity, or are you crowding your way into an existing space where the going is going to be pretty tough to build market share? So I think finding someone to help you with that, learning a lot, learning as much as you possibly can about the industry you want to operate in, and then looking at your competitors and determining what they're doing, how their businesses are growing, are some of the first foundational steps in order to put these things together going forward. Yeah, Carlos, thanks, thanks for that. I, I agree with everything you've said. I just want to highlight a few points. Um, I, I, too, believe that all entrepreneurs should take some type of accounting class. I don't think they should be accountants, but I think they absolutely need to understand the numbers and be able to articulate them in addition to understanding their market and their product. And as an investor, you know, I'm, I'm looking at an entrepreneur's vision. Um, I want to see what your business will look like in the future. Uh, this means make sure your numbers tell a story. Unlike Zena, I actually love data <laughs> and I love numbers. My eyes get wide when I see them because I, I believe it's an entrepreneur's opportunity to really use that data to tell the story that they need to show the strength of their company. Um, so really talking about the market, how big is it? What assumptions did you make? Um, and not just, you know, saying it's $74 billion. I really want you to drill into, um, you know, what your customer, what customers you're going after. Is that 20% of the $74 billion? And if so, why? What are those assumptions that you're making? Uh, Carlos, you brought up some really good points around customer acquisition costs, um, around, you know, what's the cost for your differentiators? You know, when, when you're talking software, uh, there's a cost to actually developing a platform, providing a service, and I find that sometimes entrepreneurs don't necessarily go into detail about that. So my question would be, um, you know, what's the cost to be different in the market that you're serving and the clients that you're support or customers you're supporting? Um, you know, I, I, I want to tell a story about, uh, I think, two entrepreneurs, if that's okay. One, um, at an angel investment pitch, this entrepreneur understood the gap in the market really well, um, had the passion behind the idea, and then when she got to actually talking about the cost, she really only put in the salary and a few operational costs. And so I actually dove into that a bit with her. And I think one of the mistakes, and Carlos, I'd love your opinion on this, one of the mistakes I see some entrepreneurs make is that they're creating costs based on their living as opposed to the cost to actually run the business and to develop the products and services. And so, Carlos, what, what thoughts or ideas do you have around that and how entrepreneurs can uh, take into consideration uh, their living expenses in addition to developing a real performa statement that shows what they believe the company or um, their business will look like in the future. Yeah, and I think that's where, that's where hiring somebody who has experience putting together a set of financials can really be a, bring a lot of value to the equation. Because I think sometimes we have the classic definition of an entrepreneur or a small business owner working out of their garage and just kind of bootstrapping their program together. But as it 
somebody is a growth in an organization as an entity that wants to seek out investors or loan money to bank or get receive money from banks or hire employees, there has to be a certain amount of structure, there has to be a certain amount of process to that. And I think that's where hiring somebody, again, I hate to toot, in my own, toot in our horn in this industry, but hiring somebody who has experience working with other ent- uh, entities, but also then looking at your competitive set, what are the other organizations in this space doing to help me determine what are the costs associated with bringing my product to market or service to market, whatever that may be. Uh, that's where that research that I really talked about is important because they need to do that research and help have a solid understanding of what those items are. And I also think that's where the use of the financial statements as a decision tool is important. You mentioned the small business owner who's kind of looking at his own survival cost. Well, at some point in time, they have to become what I call a formal business, which is they have to draw a salary. They have to start paying people. They have to hire a lawyer. They have to hire other people to help operate their business. And it's through the financials that allows them to determine what uh, funds are available to make those investments in their business. You won't know that if you don't have a plan or a roadmap going forward as to when can I draw a salary? When can I hire an employee? How much do I have for legal expenses? How much do I have for uh, you know, custodial, those types of things? Or when can I start leasing a space to become a, you know, to put up my shingle? So I think a, a set of financials helps you make these decisions when you can start making those investments. Hiring somebody who has experience working with other small business owners can help guide you as to what type of decisions you need to make. And then also looking at your competitive set. Who are the competitors and what type of businesses do they operate and how do they operate are key to answering those types of questions. Christina, I'm so glad you brought those points up because, you know, I'm going to share my personal story. So I fell into this entrepreneurship world. I didn't plan it. I didn't ask for it. I just, it just happened. And one of the biggest mistakes I made was I was too busy focused on, I'm going to make sure I can survive. I'm going to make sure all my bills are paid. And I didn't realize later until later on down the road as I started to grow that I was paying too much to my survival experience expenses versus my business expenses. So just, you know, recently I just started, I brought on an accountant. I brought on, you know, different people to help me to, you know, pull together some of these numbers and financials so I can understand the direction and roadmap. So I'm glad you brought that up because that's one of the biggest mistakes some entrepreneurs make. They look too much at their survival. Right. And I, and I think asking the questions up front help you think and to actually put this roadmap together because um, I think the journey is important. As Carlos mentioned earlier, it's really, it, it shows investors, potential employees and others where you are and where you want to go but then it also uh, serves as a decision point or a decision tree for you. And, and Carlos, I want to bring up another story of another um, amazing woman, uh, entrepreneur, business owner, um, who pitched, and I thought her pitch was absolutely amazing, uh, probably because I love companies that are at the intersection of something and something, um, typically something in uh, technology, usually f- uh, fintech or edtech or fashion and technology. Uh, this particular woman was in fashion and technology, and it was interesting because she did not have a lot of competitors in the space because what she's doing is truly different. But she was able to articulate her numbers in such a way that helped you understand, uh, you know, one area of the fashion industry, another area of the tech industry, and where she came into that niche. And she did it uh, phenomenally. Uh, and so, Carlos, question for you is, as um, b- business owners and entrepreneurs are looking at 
businesses that are intersectional across industries, what advice or questions do you think they should ask as they start to put their numbers together and tell their story? Well, I think when you take the center financials in, you've spent a lot of time investing, or if you've invested the time into creating financials, out of that should come your competitive advantage. And it helps quantify that competitive advantage. Uh, in other words, you know, as you mentioned the story, this is kind of a, it was a new space. It was very hard to find other competitors. Well, then it allows you to start benchmarking yourself against, quite frankly, yourself. So if I can enter the market with these types of benchmarks, with this type of expense ratios, then I can see where I can improve and, again, fend off, if you will, other competitors joining the market. I think the, ch- the challenge is becoming, you know, telling that story of this is a unique space, we're first to market, and then these are the type of things we can do going forward to build that market and grow that space. The financials help tell that story. Um, I think the, the challenge is finding, from an investor perspective, finding like companies that are in that space or similar to that space and trying to develop those benchmarks because as an investor, my impression is, is that type of risk where it's new, it's, it's innovative, is really the hardest one to convince them to take a chance on because they don't have any way to gauge what profitability should look like, what success should look like. It's, you're asking them to somewhat take a leap of faith. So I think finding, doing the best you can to create your own set of benchmarks and do whatever you can to find comparable companies is going to be key to that success. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And this is where I, I believe entrepreneurs who are uh, creating a difference in the market need to uh, work on customer acquisition and have at least a, a, a set of customers that they are working with that actually benchmark them against themselves. So I think that's a great point. Thank you. Yeah. I also think, um, you know, I've, I've been at different pitches too, and one of the things that Christine and I have talked about in the past is really looking at realistic numbers, right? So um, we will see um, entrepreneurs say, oh, I'm going to have, you know, 15% market penetration in a really competitive market within the first year um, and making assumptions that are really overly optimistic. And I think for us, um, that is a huge, not only turnoff, but a red flag, right? If an entrepreneur doesn't really understand the numbers, they don't understand what market penetration looks should look like, could look like, um, and they don't understand their market, then that's that is problematic. And of course, one of the things from my own um, industry is I'm always looking at marketing. Do they know what their message is? Do they know how to talk to that ideal client? Um, how do they get in front of that ideal client? What does that what does that cost look like? And again, because I have experience in that industry, I have a better sense of what those numbers should look like. And and I think we all have. Um, we all have our own areas of expertise, and we can look at, at financials with different levels of knowledge in different areas of that. Yeah. And, and, you know, really, you just reminded me of a conversation we had <laughs> around a few pitches that we heard, and not that it's a pet peeve, but one that raises an eyebrow for us in terms of being able to articulate your story is around when people say things like, we are the Uber of or the Airbnb of. Um, and while I think initially it's, it sounds great, to me, if you're not able to truly articulate, well, let me take a step back. One, I think sometimes we hear that when people aren't sure how to describe themselves, and I think that's a problem in and of itself. And the second, I think people say that to kind of hook people into, well, maybe this is the next unicorn or the the, the big investment. 
And just as an investor, especially in early stage um, companies, I would really urge uh, entrepreneurs to come up with a solid, concise story of what they do that is unique and not necessarily associated with another service. Carlos, I'd like to take us back now to some of the guts of what we talked about um, a little bit ago. I'd really like us to kind of pull apart what is a profit and loss statement? What is a balance sheet? What is cash flow? So you said that those are kind of the key components to pro forma financials, you know, not including the notes. But let's let's talk about them each individually. And then I know you have also um, stated multiple times uh, in other venues that taxes and accounting rules can also play a big part in how these numbers play out. So let's let's start with the definitional stuff. Do you want to start with profit and loss? Sure, sure. So a, a profit and loss is, is again, this is a, a statement that covers time. So it's typically January 1st to December 31st, a 12-month period. And it literally, it literally outlines the revenues of an organization, what are the incomes, you know, how you're making money over the expenses. You know, what is it taking me to generate that revenue? And the bottom of that or the, the, the expense side of that can often be cost of goods sold, which is if you're manufacturing something, that's a typical line item you might see. You know, was it actually costing me to generate this, this product that I'm selling? And then below that, you often have what's called selling and general and administrative expenses. So if I'm producing a widget, the new and better mousetrap, you know, the first, first part of the expenses are was it costing me to manufacture that mousetrap? Then the second set of numbers might be was it costing me to sell that mousetrap? And then they often call refer to overhead, which is what does it cost me to you know, for administration, what does it cost for HR, for payroll, uh, to operate the building, those types of things, and other types of administrative pieces. You know, what is my lease rent? What is my custodial cost? So a profit and loss statement is really just how much income do I have, how much money am I generating, and how much does it cost me to produce that income for a given time frame. And hopefully the top of that is larger than the bottom, so you generate net income, which is you know, when revenues are higher than expenses. Carlos, you also said the income statement is also referred to as the profit and loss. Am I correct? Yes. I often refer to it as the P&L. Some people refer to it as the income statement. It goes by many different names, but I think the technical name is often the profit and loss statement. If you looked it up on, you know, some of the, like Investopedia, it'd give you a couple of different names, but in the nonprofit world, it's a statement of financial performance or something like that sometimes. So it, it goes by several different names. Let's talk about the balance sheet and, in particular, um, some interesting things here from both the investor perspective and the entrepreneur perspective, of course, is how we're calculating and looking at equity. Um, and that's partic of particular interest when an entrepreneur is raising capital, right? Yeah. So the balance sheet is, again, it's a point-in-time document. So it says, what is, what is the financial position of my organization, of my entity on a given date? So traditionally, December 31st of any given year. And the balance sheet works on a simple formula of assets minus liabilities equals owner's equity or equity. So assets are things that a company owns, whether in full or, or in part. Liabilities are things that the entity actually owes out. So accounts payable is a traditional one that we all think of. Payroll liabilities are another one. And then equity is the difference between those two numbers. So hopefully there's more assets than liabilities gives you equity. And it's important to know that one, one final comment is 
is the balance sheet often flows from the profit and loss statement. As you're making investments in your company, you're adding assets. As you're, you might also be adding liabilities if you're taking a loan out to, to, to buy those assets. So it really flows from the profit and loss statement, from the income statement to the balance sheet. And then it would flow on to the third piece, which is the cash flow statement. Before we go there, let's talk really quickly about what some of those assets can be, because I think um, in the in the general world, we think of assets as um, things that you can put your hands on or at least touch in certain ways, but that's not necessarily true for a tech startup. There might be intellectual property, for example, that is um, included among their assets. Talk to us about some examples of assets. You gave us already a couple examples of liabilities. So. So cash is the most obvious one. So cash is considered an asset. Um, accounts receivable, if you're selling a product and you have terms so you don't necessarily collect all the cash up front, you would put those on accounts receivable, so that's the second one. If you got investors to invest in your organization, you have some free cash. You might have investments, CDs, or whatever the case may be. And then as you noted, Aurelia, then there's what's called other assets. It could be goodwill. It could be intellectual property. Uh, the thing to bear in mind, though, for those other types of assets is oftentimes there is a valuation that occurs on those assets that might not be reflective of the actual cash cost or cash value of that. Uh, one way to look at that is intellectual property. If there's intellect, significant intellectual property within an organization, it might not be because you know it's valued at or it cost a million dollars to create. It might have a certain value of it based on accounting rules, based on the future value that you're going to get out of that. And that's where hiring a CPA or a tax person who is well-versed in current tax and accounting laws, because those do change on a year-to-year basis, can help you create the statements that are accurate based on current tax and accounting laws. Uh, So that's the asset side of that. So you were about to say that it flows into cash flow, the cash flow statement, and I and I uh, hijacked you there for a minute. But go ahead and talk about cash flow. And as I said earlier, uh, to me, the cash flow statement is the most important document of the four that, that you put together. Again, I'm an old-fashioned finance person, so cash is king. And eventually, the goal of your organization should be to generate cash, free cash flow, not necessarily generate net income, which is profits or revenue minus expenses, but you want to generate free cash flow. So let me talk about the definition. Let me tell you why it's important. So again, cash flow is broken up into a couple of different parts. One of them is the cash flow statement is broken up into a couple of different parts. Excuse me. The first one is what is my operating income? The next piece is what are my changes in my balance sheet? Uh, by that I mean if, if I've made sales, but they've been on accounts receivable, so people still owe me for the sale, then that is a negative impact on your cash flow statement. Conversely, if I've paid down my debt, that might be a positive impact on your cash flow statement. There's also an investing piece to that. There's also uh, is the final piece that normally, and that's just how much money I receive from investors. As I said earlier, the cash flow statement is over a specific period of time, so January, January 1st to December 31st, and it measures the quality of your income. And the reason I say that is accounting rules allow organizations to manipulate income or expense. A classic example of that is, let's say, research and development. If you're an organization who is going to invest a great deal of money into develop a new product, the accounting rules allow you to amortize or spread out that cost over a period of years. So 
if you invested a million dollars, so you've actually paid a million dollars this year, accounting rules might allow you to say only 200000 of that is on your income statement this year. The other 800000 is spread out over the next four or five years. Well, a cash flow statement kind of gets to the bottom of that and determines that, no, you've actually spent a million dollars investing in this product or item, and that's reflected in the cash flow statement. So that's why I think a lot of investors will look at the cash flow statement and say, this is the true picture of how well this company is doing, because eventually they want to get their, invers- their investment back, and it's through the cash flow statement that allows them to determine at what point in time that might be. So you you referred to three different kind of outside factors, if you will, that help us look at and um, evaluate some pieces of the pro forma financials or any kind of financial documents, actually, financial statements. Um, one is taxes, um, tax rules and tax laws. The other is accounting rules. And then the third that we've been kind of floating about has been regulation, right? So you mentioned early on um some of the, the regulations that might have an impact on the financial statements. So I don't know if you want to talk any more about how those impact the financial statements, but I think it's important for our listeners to know that those are always going to be kind of factors that you want to take into account when you're looking at these documents. Yeah, and I'll start with the last one there, really. You know, the, the, some of the rules, for instance, again, I operate in Southern California, so I know, for instance, Part-time labor or part-time people who work for less than work less than 30 hours a week uh, are required to receive sick um, sick accrual, so they're allowed allowed to take sick time. So that's an accrual that you might be caused to do. So that's one of the regulations that are important that people understand that uh, is affecting their community they operate in. Obviously, we mentioned minimum wage is another area that. Um, you know, in Southern California or in California as a whole, minimum wage is going to begin a gradual increase to $15 an hour in a couple of years. But also environmental rules. What are the environmental rules that affect your business? Um, think of the old classic gas station or the oil change place down the corner. You know, they have environmental rules that they have to add to their business as it relates to disposal of uh, toxic waste, disposal of materials, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to be, have a good understanding of what those items are and how they all affect your business. Accounting rules is where you want a, a solid accountant, CPA, to come on board to help you, especially if you're making investments in research and development and other areas that really those accounting rules can change on a year-to-year basis, and they will have an impact on both your cash flow and your profit and loss statement. And then taxes, that we've all seen, as we've all seen recently, Taxes, especially at the local level, often change in a year-to-year basis, whether it be sales tax or even personal income tax, whatever the case may be. But those will change. And again, having a good CPA who's well-versed in local, federal, and state-level accounting and tax rules is key to having a good set of financials that are going to uh, kind of pass that smell test that you are facing those financials in current reality in the community you want to operate in. So, Carlos, you know, speaking of taxes and on a federal and local level, um, we know the legislation just passed about taxes, and is that going to impact businesses this um, this year? Uh, for as I understand it, and I'm not up on the current taxes, but for 2018 it will, especially for small business owners, uh, because of pass through pass through expenses that they will allow to carry through to their um, personal income tax. So it will have a significant impact. According to, again, depending on who you want to listen to in the political sphere, 
the tax rules were changed to directly benefit small business owners. So having a quality CPA who is well-versed on the current tax legislation that was just passed within the last couple months, I think is going to be important to any small business owner going forward. So we've kind of covered a lot of the basics. I mean, obviously, every single industry is really different. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the investor perspective. And I know, Carlos, you have some uh, great stories that you have have from working with different startup companies. And feel free to change the names to protect the innocent or not so innocent, as the case may be. (laughs) But I know from my standpoint, um, I look at financials very carefully. And for me, it is absolutely crucial that uh, CEO and or founder, they may be the same people or not, really understand their numbers. Like I really want to know that somebody understands what it's going to take to drive the business, how much time it's going to take to get them from point A to point B, and what their costs are. Right. I also, I mean, particularly in the angel and VC space, we're looking at rates of return that are much, much higher than is normally the case in small business, in the small business world, right? Where most people, if they're running a business and they're, you know, out of the red and into the black in a fairly, in fairly short order, and they're even, you know, making a little bit of money, they're happy. If they're making 3x their return, they're super happy. But if, you're looking for angel or VC investment, people aren't even going to blink. They're not even going to look twice at you if you're looking at that kind of rate of return, right? So it's just a different world. And I think for, for myself, and I know a lot of other investors I speak with, if if an entrepreneur does not clearly understand their numbers, if they don't really get their assumptions, if they can't back up their assumptions, if they haven't done the research on their assumptions, we're going to take a pass because they just don't know what the true costs are of doing business, quite frankly. And I think another, really, I think another in cholera or in conjunction with what you just said is bringing focus to what the small business is. You know, what is it that they're trying to accomplish? And what they're trying to accomplish, is that such a diverse, such a, uh, a wide space that it, hard to bring focus to accomplishing one small task, so to speak. I, again, in the past, I was working with somebody, small business owner, who was doing so many things, so spread out, so thin. I asked, what is it that you're trying to accomplish just tomorrow? Just, just back it down to the basics for me. And if you can't answer that question, in my mind, again, it's hard to build the credibility you need with investors and bankers. You have to have a certain level of focus. Say, we're going to do this over the next 12 months. And that should be something you can explain in about 30 seconds, you know, the classic elevator pitch. If you can't do it that quickly, then maybe you spread out too thin because very few small business owners have the resources and have the ability to do so many things and do them well such that they're going to attract investors and business owners or employees and bankers to their entity. I think you have to have focus, and I think a good set of financials allows you to drill down on really what's important and what's going to be the biggest bank for my buck or the biggest return on the investment that I'm asking people to make with me. You know, I'm actually glad you said that because it made me think of something else. Um, When I'm working with clients, I'm also asking them where, you know, where is the biggest return on your investment, right? You've got, you've got different products or services that you're offering. You might have different lines of business, but what's making you the most money? Like where, where should we put our money into to get the most money back out? 
And again, you know, financials are going to be able to tell you that in real, in real, in real numbers, right? You can just look at it. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh, we thought we were going to make a lot more money here. Didn't. Great. Do we cut off that line of business? Do we, you know, pull back on financing that area? Do we troubleshoot because there's something that needs to be changed? Yeah, it's really, it's really an important tool. Yeah. You know, again, we go back to, I said that the set of financials are a decision tool. And if we go back to the classic definition of what a manager is, it's a resource allocator. Well, where what you're saying really is where should we re, where should we allocate resources that's going to be the biggest return on our investment, and a set of financials, a good quality set of financials, can help you guide you to that decision. It can develop the metrics to show investments in this marketing area or investments in this physical plant are going to give us the biggest return on our investment. And again, looking at the financials as a decision tool is key to that process. Carlos, I have been taking so many notes. <laughs> Thank you so much. I might call you. <laughs> no, thanks for having me. <laughs> so expect my phone call, seriously. <laughs> um, where can we find you? Because I'm sure once people listen to this episode, they're, they're going to want to immediately just Google you. So to make it easy well, on them. So how can they find you? Well, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, and then my email address is my last name, which is C-A-R-E-A-G-A-C-F. And then I'm at a gmail.com. But I'm based in Southern California, and, you know, I've worked with Aurelia in the past, going back probably longer than we could admit back in the days, right, Aurelia? That's right, but, yeah, over 10 years, yeah. Yeah, but we've, you know, I've been working, I've done a great deal of work here in, this, in the community with some small business owners who were really just bootstrapping. And I think the things we've talked about today, focus, being able to explain your business in a quick 30 seconds, having a good handle on what type of community you're going to operate in are key pieces of information that people should take away. Because especially at the this type of angel investor, we're not trying to conquer the world. We're just trying to conquer our own little space of it. And I think being able to explain how we're going to do that to investors and bankers and employees is key to that first step of success. Well, Carlos, thank you again. For our listeners, let's do a quick summary of what we learned today. We talked about pro forma financials, and Carlos reminded us that it is both a roadmap, a way to figure out where you're going, and a decision tool, right? So you can use pro forma financials, your financial statements, which should be living and breathing documents to really help you decide where you're going and what you're going to be doing next. There are four key pieces to the pro forma financial statements a P&L, a profit and loss statement, also known as an income statement, a balance sheet, a cash flow statement, and assumptions and notes. Carlos reminded us that the cash flow statement is the most important document. While you can, um, I don't want to say alter, but while you can kind of, you know, shift some numbers around in the other uh, documents, a cash flow statement is going to tell you where you are with regard to cash, real cash flow, which is really, really important. When you're looking to put together uh, pro forma financials, you need to really understand what makes your business go, what your business model is, what drives your business, what the expenses are, and what's going to bring you revenue. How are you going to make money? Really look for your benchmarks and how are you going to figure out your return on investment? And finally, know that there are taxes, regulations, and other kinds of accounting rules that are going to have an effect on how we read these statements. And so 
one of the key takeaways is get expert advice, get help. There is help out there. There are a lot of different resources online in the community, SCORE, uh, community colleges, a lot of different places where entrepreneurs can get help from folks who are expert at this. And most of all, thank you, Carlos, for being with us. To our listeners, don't miss an episode. Make sure and check us out on our website, getfoundgetfunded.com. Look for us on social media. Sign up for our newsletter. See you soon. Bye-bye. 